spoke in Sunday school now for four weeks. Maybe you hadn't realized that because the first week, um, no, the first week was, uh, I didn't speak, was mission conference. And then the next week I was sick. Then the next week Dean was here. My son was here. He spoke for you. And uh, then the next week I was sick. And so everybody keeps asking, I'm fine. I'm, well, I'm, I'm okay. I had that respiratory virus and I found out something. Some of you have told me you already knew this. I did not know this. I did not know you could cough so hard you could actually tear muscles in your body. But that's what I managed to do. I coughed so hard, I ripped some muscles free in my back. And uh, uh, last Sunday morning uh, was not a good Sunday morning, let's just say. Uh, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little stubborn. Good, you didn't say amen, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little stubborn. I hate pain medications because I, like, I don't like thinking goofy. You know what I mean when I say that? Anybody ever been on a pain? I just can't think straight. I, don't, I, don't act, I know this sounds crazy, but I, there's a part of me that would rather be in pain and think normal than why anybody would ever take drugs. I can't figure it out. So uh, stop taking the pain medication, which was a bad idea. Anyway, found that out. Uh, doing much better today. Still, it hard, it's hard to uh, twist or turn real hard, so don't expect any violent movements from me. And I uh, found out this morning, I still have a little bit of a respiratory problem. So if you catch me, if I have to stop and catch my breath every now and then, I walk up the aisle, up the hill. Some of you already know this. I walk up that little hill and I'm like, <sighs> so uh, I am glad I'm doing better. I know many of you pray for me and I appreciate that, but I'm glad. Here's the bad part to all this. I've been gone for four. I haven't, I haven't taught for four weeks, but I kept studying for four weeks. So... I mean, you know, I mean, sitting on the couch, what am I going to do? So I got all kinds of, there's all kinds of material. You should have two different lessons this morning. Actually, it's three different lessons. Uh, there's two that are stapled together, and then there's a one sheet by itself. Uh, so you should have two different lessons. Uh, one says, I think it says the earthly tabernacle, or two tabernacles. The other says tabernacle symbolism. That's actually three weeks lesson. I don't know where we're going to go this morning or how far we're going to get. Uh, but I want to make sure you have that in your hand. And we'll move along with that. One announcement before we start in Hebrews. One more announcement. Uh, don't forget next Sunday morning is Christmas Eve. And we have one service next Sunday morning. And that is at 1030 in the morning. And that's in the auditorium. Everybody in the auditorium at 1030. No Sunday school next Sunday. 1030 in the auditorium. One service. No evening service. So just remember that. I'll give you some time to be... Whew, I guess I am a little winded uh, to be with your families. And uh, so uh, don't forget that. Now, you're looking at your Bible real quick. I've got there's I, I, I'm sitting on the couch this morning. Some of you know, every morning I try to get up Sunday mornings. I get up a little early. I try to sit on the couch, which sometimes can be bad because then I'll act, add more stuff to the lesson. Uh, but I, I, I try to review the lesson, make sure I know what order I'm going to teach it. And when you have three or four lessons like this, it's kind of hard to figure out. All right. Where do I start? Well, my mind just thought, well, I'll just start in the book of Hebrews, which is where we are. If you've been studying with us uh, four weeks ago, you know, we finished chapter eight. We moved on. To, we're moving on to chapter nine. Chapter nine is a comparison, basically, of the uh, what we would call the earthly or I think uh, Paul calls it the worldly tabernacle, the tabernacle in the wilderness and what we would call the heavenly tabernacle, uh, God's dwelling place in heaven. And so there's this little comparison that goes on. Now, I will tell you this. I think the Holy Spirit inspired Paul at the end of verse 5 to say a perfect line. Let me read you real quick. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, we're just going to read from verses 1 to 5. It says this, Then verily the first covenant also had ordinances of a divine sanctuary, 
of a divine service, I'm sorry, and a worldly sanctuary. Now you'll see the comparison, by the way. Uh, look at, at verse one, it talks about the worldly sanctuary, but look over at verse 11. Skip over to verse 11 real quick. Being Christ, but Christ become as a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. So we're gonna compare the worldly tabernacle, the actual fleshly dwelling that they built with the tents in the hand and Israelites like you see in the picture out there. He's comparing that tabernacle with God's dwelling place in heaven. And so we'll talk about that in a minute, but just understand what he's doing. So then verse two, he says, for there was a tabernacle made, uh, the first. Now, again, a little help here for you. Where he says the first in verse two, he'll, you'll notice in verse seven, he says the second. We're not talking about tabernacles there. When he says the first, he's talking about the first place as you go into the holy place. He'll describe things in the holy place. That is the first place you would go into once you got into the actual tabernacle structure where the holy of holies and the holy place. The holy place was first, the holy of holies second. So the first is the holy of holy place. The second is the holy of holies. Does that make sense? So you've you got to understand what he's talking about here. When I was, uh, when I was first saved and, and even in Bible college learning a lot about the tabernacle and that sort of thing, I got so confused because there's... It's such an, it illustrates the Christian life in such a way that sometimes it's a double illustration. Sometimes it's a triple illustration. In other words, for instance, the golden censer, or I'm not the golden censer, the golden candlestick, the menorah, right? It illustrates the light of the gospel. It illustrates Jesus Christ, who is the light. It illustrates Jesus Christ, who brought the light. It illustrates the word of God, which... Jesus is the word and it lightens. It illustrates the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the illuminator of the, you get what I'm saying? You have to be really careful when you start talking about the tabernacle because you are going to leave something out. It is a tremendous, it is a tremendous picture of God's plan. Well, what happens in this book, and when we get to chapter nine, especially um, Paul or whoever you consider the writer of Hebrews is explaining that. And he's, now, he, he does something in verse 5 that I like. So let me get to verse 5. So uh, I don't get ahead of myself. So he's talking about in the first, or the, I, you would add the word section, in the first section, you would say, wherein was the candlestick and the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now, if you know anything, how many of you know anything about tabernacle? How many of you have ever studied the tabernacle? Put your hand up real high. Okay. How many of you know that in that description of the holy place, something's missing? Read it again. Read it for yourself. Look again. He says, there was a tabernacle, the first wherein was a candlestick and the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And then in verse three, he goes to the second, past the second veil. There's an entrance into the holy place. That's the first veil. And there's an entrance into the second, the holy of holies. That's the second veil. What's missing? Come on, you know this. So you've got a table of showbread and you've got the menorah or the golden candlestick. What's missing? Well, it'd be the altar of incense, right? Why is that not mentioned? Uh, here's a strange thing, and I'll try to explain this to you later. Uh, I say I try because I don't know if I know the full explanation. So then he goes from the holy place into the holy of holies, and he says this. And after the second veil of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, which was the golden censer. How many Bible scholars immediately go, what? Anybody recognize there's, there's maybe an issue here? The, the golden censer, is that, is he talking about the altar of incense? And was the altar of incense in the holy place? And the holy of holies? No. 
So we've got a little question mark here, and we'll talk about it in a minute. And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Now here's what I like about verse 5. He, can, he describes a little bit more about the Holy of Holies. And over it, over the... Um, uh, over the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, there were two ain't, there were the cherubim uh, uh, of glory shattering the mercy seat. Now look what he notes at the end of the verse. Everybody look at the end of verse five. Everybody look at the end of verse five. Don't look at me. Look at, he says this, of which we cannot now speak particularly. The word particularly just means in detail. In other words, he's saying this, what I'm teaching you now is not a detailed description of the tabernacle. I'm giving you a general overview so you understand that that was a pattern, that was an example, that was an illustration of the truth. If you want a detailed explanation of the tabernacle, you need to go back to the book of Exodus. In fact, I think it's chapter 25. I think in chapter 25 is where the description of the tabernacle starts. I think I wrote that. Yeah, chapter 25. Starts in chapter 25. You'd have to, you'd have to study chapter 25, chapter 26, chapter 27, chapter 30. Uh, 28, 29, and 30, 31. There's a little break in there between 32 and 34. You'd have to study uh, chapter 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, and 40. If you want a detailed description of the tabernacle, you have to basically study the entire middle section of the book of Exodus uh, because every detail is covered in that. Uh, how many have ever been in a study like that through the book of Exodus about the tabernacle? Anybody? Hmm. Really? Only a few people. That's kind of interesting. Uh, it is an excellent study. I've done a study on that before in the book of Exodus uh, in our Sunday school class. It's been many years ago in, in, in our church here. We went through Genesis and Exodus. Uh, nobody wants me to go back to the book of Genesis. Uh, how, you know how long it took me to get through the book of Genesis in Sunday school? Four and a half years. 700 pages of notes. Well, I mean, come on. It's the beginning. You can't do... You have to, well, when you get to Exodus, it's not, it's not a whole lot less. So what, what Paul or whatever the author, whoever the author of Hebrews is saying here is, I'm not going to go particularly into every detail of the tabernacle. So guess what I'm saying to you this morning? Nor am I, okay? <laughs> we would have, we would be, literally, I, I think you could probably go a good two years on the tabernacle without even trying. Now, some people I think, and this is not a criticism, uh, but in my opinion, some people I think when they study the tabernacle go too far. I mean, every look, the rope that held up the stick, that held the peg that held the rope, that held the stick, that held the stave, that was in the golden socket, that was on the wall, the rope meant something and the peg meant something and the hole in the ground where the peg was driven meant something. And I'm like, what? hang on. You know, you, you can over-spiritualize anything, right? Where I try to draw the line is this. Whatever the Bible says, if anything in the tabernacle where the Bible, I can find in the scripture, this represented something, then I'm going to teach that. Can I guess at the other stuff? Well, I guess you can. I think it's going to be something I'm going to learn in heaven. I, I, don't think, I don't think you can explain all the mysteries of God while you're on the planet. Your finite brain cannot, cannot wrap itself around the infinite. And in a sense, if the, if the tabernacle is what this author says it is, and I believe it is, if the tabernacle is a picture of God's throne and God's dwelling in heaven, you can't see that. I have not seen, nor but you, you can't see that until you see it. We have some people in our church, by the way, used to be in our church that have seen it. Those who've gone home, they know what it looks like. 
They have a clear picture of that. May, sometimes in funerals, I always think about that. They know more than I, you know, I may have been teaching the Bible. I'm about 50 years now. I've been teaching the Bible and there's people who just recently got saved. They're now in heaven. They know more than I know. A lot more than I know, you know. So understand that. You, we're not going to go in complete detail. So here's what I want to start with. We're, we'll get to that. In this. How did I lose me? How did you lose me, Jimmy? Did I do something here? I'm still up. The network went down. Well, that's not my fault. Okay, look at your Sunday school lesson. Let me read. I want to read a couple of things and I, I, so you get the general emphasis here, okay? So uh, I get, by the way, one thing you do need to understand, we're not talking about Solomon's temple. We're only talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness. If you know your Bible, you know the tabernacle came first, then Solomon's temple that was destroyed in 70 AD um, when the, on the Roman invasion. So we're, we're only talking about the tabernacle. Solomon's temple also has some illustrations about the, heavenly, uh, the heavenlies also, but it's a little different. It's quite, a, I wish we had time to, you know, have a little Bible institute and just spend hours upon hours sitting here. Some of you would sit here and listen because you're that interested. Uh, anyway, go to, the, go to your notes. Okay, so in this chapter, the, the apostle draws a comparison between the tabernacle and the wilderness, that he calls it the worldly tabernacle, and the tabernacle in the heavens or a more perfect tabernacle or a more perfect sanctuary. The word sanctuary, the word tabernacle, same idea. Actually, in Hebrew and, and Greek, they actually translate the same thing. They mean dwelling place. That's all it really means. Tabernacle, sanctuary. It, when we talk about the sanctuary, we talk about God's dwelling place. And technically, we don't really have a, um, a sanctuary here. God doesn't actually physically dwell here. He dwells in the hearts of the believers. And so, in a sense, he does. It's also a little illustration. But the actual sanctuary or tabernacle meant the place where God actually dwelt physically. Now, like many of you, uh, been saved 40, 50 years, uh, many of you understand uh, or, or know those truths, but none of us really understand that. I mean, I can talk to you all I want to talk to you about the tabernacle in the wilderness, and they picked it up and moved it, and I can talk about um, the pillar of fire, and I can talk about the pillar of smoke, and how, but you don't have any clue what that really was like. Amen? I mean, I, I got the words and I got the phrases and I've got some description, but what it meant to have God physically dwell in your presence. Even though there were walls around the tabernacle, the tribes of Israel also around the tabernacle, they could see the pillar of fire. They knew that God was little, just like this pulpit is, God was physically right beyond that wall. He was there. They could see him. We have not, we have not, we don't have that experience, Right. That's completely uh, hard for us to comprehend. And so, and so uh, a, a, as we talk about it, understand we're only talking about what we can imagine. We're not talking about what we have actually experienced for ourselves. We've experienced the grace of God, and we can talk about that. And we experience redemption. We can talk about that. And we can, we've experienced God's forgiveness, and we can talk about that. But when we talk about the actual presence of God being with us, only in my heart, not with my eyes or my physical senses, can I do that. You understand the difference? So when we talk about the tabernacle, we're trying to describe something we can't really fully imagine or see. But they did. Have you ever thought about that? 
That, I used to think, I, when I first got saved and started reading the Bible, I, I, I got saved and a year later I was in Bible college, so I was kind of growing spiritually as I was in Bible college, which, by the way, ended up being a good combination because I was hungry. I wanted to know everything. And it was really hard for me to comprehend that. Here, here's the hardest part for me. I used to think, well, if God was dwelling, if you're in the wilderness, you know, how many of you know how, uh, how well did the, the uh, Israelites behave in the wilderness in a general sense, good or bad? General sense, bad. Okay, I used to think about that and say, but God, they, but he was right there. I mean, you got up in the morning, there was a presence of God. You could see the pillar of fire. When you moved in the, during the day, you, could, you were following God, literally a physical, at least some kind of entity you could see, and they still sinned. Now, here's what I used to think. Here's what I used to think, and I was wrong. I used to think if I was there and I could actually see God like that, I would not sin. But I don't know. I, I do. As I've been as I've grown over the years, I've realized the real true depravity of man. And I know the strength of my flesh. Guess what probably would have happened if I'd have been an Israelite. Anybody want to know? I, I hate to say this because I'd like to think I'm different, but I probably would have run right along with them. You know, when you get to that middle section in Exodus, remember I said you start at chapter 25, and you go to chapter 40, verse, uh, uh, chapter 33, 34, and 35, uh, no, 32, 33, and 34, uh, there's a story in there. Anybody know what that story's about? I'll give you a hint. Moses is on the mount. What happens? Say it? Yeah. Aaron, Aaron, he doesn't come down soon enough. The people get anxious. Aaron, the high priest of God, who, now think about this, who at that moment is involved in building the tabernacle. Have you ever thought about the story that way? He has just given half of the instructions to build the tabernacle. Moses goes up on the mount. He doesn't come down. Everybody gets nervous and say, he's dead. We need to have a new God. And so Aaron creates an idol at the foot of the mountain where God is dwelling. Seriously? Now, I sometimes remind myself, uh, I have children, and I have grandchildren, and sometimes I think of my children that way. Seriously, you did that right here in my house in front of me, knowing my response, and you knew what I was going to do, and you knew how I felt, and you did it anyway? You ever feel like that? I often wondered if our Heavenly Father feels the same way. Really? Really? You, you didn't hear the mount rumbling? You didn't see the clouds? You What? So sometimes in my mind, I wonder how they could do it. But now I have something they didn't have. What do I have that they didn't have? Come on, Bible scholars. What do, they, what do I have in this present dispensation that they didn't have? I have two things. I have the word of God, but I have more than that. What else do I have? I have the Holy Spirit, which dwells not on the mountain or not in the tabernacle. Where does he dwell? And the Holy Spirit says to me, Morris, you should not do that. And I defy him and do it anyway. See, I used to feel, what a, those people in the wilderness, what a bunch of idiots. How could they do that? How wicked they are. I have the very word of, I have a clear, I have a clearer understanding of God than they did. And I have the Holy Spirit that illuminates that to me. And yet I still sin. 
The Holy Spirit sometimes says to me, you should do this. And I say to him, I'm not going to. What is the difference from me doing that or an Israelite standing outside of the tabernacle sinning? What's the difference? There isn't any. We're both as wicked. I have no idea. That has nothing to do with this morning's Sunday school lesson. I just got off on a tangent. So I didn't get to preach for four weeks, so hang on. It's going to be a long morning. Okay, so that was the first line. Yeah, okay, so uh, he wants the Hebrew Christians. I'm on the still of the first paragraph. He wants these Hebrew Christians to understand uh, the, the first tabernacle, and we, you should know this by now as we've studied through Hebrews. The first tabernacle is a pattern, a shadow, a figure of the true. It's an illustration uh, of the tabernacle in heaven. It's an illustration of God's dwelling place in heaven. Again, okay, as much as I cannot, okay, this is, I'm, I'm way above my head. As much as I cannot, excuse me, as much as I cannot explain the tabernacle in the wilderness completely. Okay, everybody understand? You can't either. No, the greatest Bible scholar that I've ever met does a good, adequate job, but not an excellent job. You can't understand it all. If you can't understand that, all right, let me ask you a question. Do you think in our, in our earthly being that we can understand the tabernacle, God's dwelling place in heaven? Yes or no? Well, no. It's far beyond us. So understand that going into the lesson. So look at the next paragraph. There's a strong emphasis in the chapter upon the fact that all the things of the tabernacle in the wilderness were mere types and shadows of the one yet to come. Now, not just in this chapter, I would say, but in throughout the entire book of Hebrews. All these things are pointing to what? May, let me change it. All these things are pointing to who? Jesus Christ. Okay. And his sacrifice on the cross. All these things are pointing to that. We get that, okay? Uh, here's, an, here's another. You, you should circle this. I actually, have, in my notes, have circled this. The temporal was exchanged for the eternal at the cross. I wish I had written that line. That's a great line. The temporal, the covering, the temporal, the tabernacle, what was about to was cha- exchanged for the eternal at the cross. That, that's a beautiful, that's a, not only a beautiful statement, it is a rich doctrinal statement. If you understand the depth of that, you're, you're, you're growing spiritually. The next sentence is just as important. The shadows became linked with the substance. That's, that is at the cross. The shadows became linked with the substance and the types were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to do any study of the tabernacle, which we were going to do this morning, but obviously I got material now for the next five weeks. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that next week. I won't get too much into that this morning, but I want you to understand that there's a, there is a, uh, there's a type of Christ in every little, you say, well, um, the table of showbread, that illustrates the word of God that feeds us. Well, yes, but it also, but who is the bread of life? Jesus Christ, right? You get it. No matter what I, no matter what I talk about in the tabernacle, it relates somehow to Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross and the deity of Christ. I mean, some of the things, it's interesting, some of the, some of the things are pure gold. Some of the things are pure gold, uh, are wood covered with pure gold. Why would you have wood covered with pure gold? Think about it. Jesus Christ, there's an illustration here. 100% man, 100% God. The wood illustrates his humanity, the gold, his deity. I mean, everything you talk about in the tabernacle, you're going to, it's just like crazy. It's like, wow. Now, let me, I'm, since I don't have the other thing, I've got to get off subject here. When I get to studies like this, I'm talking about the tabernacle. 
I'm talking about the tabernacle, and I get all the way to Hebrews, and I'm still talking about the tabernacle. I'm in Exodus, all through the scripture, Hebrews, I'm still talking about the tabernacle. And I see how all these things fit together beautifully, the Old Testament, the New Testament, right? And how they all fit. And then some fool tells me, this is not word of God, it was written by men. Really? You really think over 1,600 years, these men, these men who didn't know each other somehow collaborated over uh, decades and over uh, centuries of time and knew how, don't be stupid, okay? I'm not the dummy at that point, you are. When you tell me, I understand uh, this is not God's word, it was just something, you're, you're crazy. No way. So one of, the, one of the reasons for the study, yes, is to point out Jesus Christ. But for those of us who don't know Christ, is to appreciate him more, to give him the glory he deserves, and to give us assurance that this is indeed, what? The very word of God. Amen? And the deeper you study, the more you study the scripture, and the more you see the unity of the scripture, whether it's Old and New Testament, or whether it's Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled today, how, whatever you want to look at, the accuracy of it, you have to get a little... You have to grow a little in your faith. You have to say, wow, look what God did. Amen? Okay, so let me move back. Let me go back to your notes. All right. I didn't have this plan, but I'm enjoying it. I don't know if you are. Uh, here's the second, third paragraph. God drew the plans for the tabernacle, right? And I then showed the model. Hello. There you go. <laughs> I thought somebody was sneaking up behind me. Uh, and then showed the model of Moses in the mount. Okay, God uh, reminded him constantly to be certain to make all things according to the pattern exhibited to him in the mount. Now, you'll, as you read, if you went back and you studied uh, all those chapters, all those 12 chapters about the tabernacle, one thing you're going to hear over and over and over that he, God wants this done exactly as it is stated. Everything has to be done with precision and has to be done right. Because if you mess up and you don't make it like it's designed, it won't represent the perfect Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's why it takes 12 chapters. You, you look at the, I don't have the picture up. I was going to show you the picture. Uh, if you look at the tabernacle, right, it's just a skin wall, right? Um, it's about 100, uh, let's see if I can get this right. It's about 125 yards, uh, no, 125 feet by 75 feet. If you put that on a football field in your mind, it's about a quarter of a football field. One-fourth. Give you a general idea. Okay, so we're not talking about a massive, gigantic structure. Okay, so, and, so you got that. Then, you, then you've got the, uh, uh, the brazen altar and the brazen labor. Not super complicated, right? Then you've got the, uh, the inner tabernacle, uh, the, holy of holy, the holy place and the holy of holies. Only three things in here, only one thing in here with three things inside of it. That's it. That's the entire thing. It takes 12 chapters to describe it. Why? Because God's concerned that there is an illustration here for you to understand, for the Israelites to understand. The author of Hebrews is now saying, you guys know these things, but do you know what they mean? I would say to you, I would say to you, same thing. Let me, let me go to modern day. We have, we have some ordinances in our local church, right? We have two ordinances. We're Baptists, so we believe in two ordinances. And they are? Baptism and Lord's Supper. Why do we baptize? Well, you should have, there should be a biblical understanding of the illustration in baptism, right? The death that Christ came down to earth, he died, he was buried. We don't leave people under the water, mainly because they would die. But no, there's an illustration. And he what? He rose again. 
Some churches carry it a little further. We don't have the opportunity to carry it a little further. I've been in churches where you come in one side of the baptism and you go out the other side to walk in newness of life. It's a good illustration, right? And, but that's why we baptize, not only because God told us, but there's, some, there's a meaning to it. I, we don't baptize so we can get you wet. That's not the concept. We have the Lord's Supper to represent, to remind us of the, the death of Christ, that his broken body and the blood of Christ. There's an illustration in it all. We don't do it as an ordinance that has no meaning, right? It has to have meaning. Well, that's all that Hebrews 9 is telling the Hebrews who went to the tabernacle or Solomon's temple at this time, who've been there, why they're there. You saw the, did you see the labor? What does that mean? What does the altar mean? What is, the, what is in the Holy of Holies? What does it mean? God's trying to teach you something. Don't just understand the truths. It's like people who, uh, you know, you grow up in Sunday school and you memorize all the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you got it all down. And you know John three sixteen by heart. But you have no idea what that means and it doesn't change your life. What's the point? There's no point. Well, for a lot of the Jews of this day, ugh, sorry, there was no point, right? It was just a ceremony. It was just the thing they do. Now, don't get, me, don't get mad at me. But a lot of Baptists are the same way. You come to church not to worship God. You come to church because it's Sunday morning. And Sunday is what we, that's what we do on Sunday. Nope. Nope. We come to church. Why? To learn the truths from God's word that literally are supposed to change our life. And if you don't understand the truth behind it all, why are you here? That's what, you're with me now? Did I get two paragraphs in yet? Okay. Uh, so go down to the fourth paragraph. It's interesting to note. It's interesting to note. Uh, it's interesting that when John desired to speak of the presence of the incarnate Son of God, when you go to John chapter 1, 14, uh, verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, by the way, uh, means tabernacled. Same, you could have literally, King James translators could have put this. It would have made the exact same thing. And the word of God was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Exact same meaning. Exact same thing. Okay. So now, now he dwells among us and in us. Okay. You get the idea? Look at the last, uh, go down to the bottom, very bottom paragraph, the earthly tabernacle, because I'm, I'm going to, I don't have my illustrations, so we'll get there next week. The word worldly means of this world. When he talks about that in verse one, the worldly sanctuary, the word worldly means of the world. God gave Moses the pattern from heaven, but Moses built the tabernacle and later Solomon, the temple on earth and of earthly materials. The sanctuary was divided, divinely appointed and the services were carried out under God's direction. Still everything at that point was of earth. Now, so, okay, this is hard. If you haven't been to the whole study, it's hard for you to comprehend where we've been in the book of, uh, of Hebrews. So the Jews have just now, Christ has been crucified. He's risen again. Some of them have accepted him as Savior, but they can't separate themselves from Old Testament Judaism. And they shouldn't, they shouldn't technically separate. They should say that is fulfilled in, in him. Oh boy, that felt good. They, that is fulfilled in him, Right? You understand that? They can't make that change. And that's all, that's all the author of Hebrews, that's all the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to understand. No, no, no. It's all fulfilled. And now, piece by piece, whether he's talking about the priesthood, okay, uh, do we need those priests anymore? No, we need teachers and preachers of the Word of God. So that you understand. 
whether we're talking about the sanctuary, where we're talking about the, uh, Solomon's uh, uh, temple, whatever, all of those things. Do you have to sacrifice anymore? No, the ultimate sacrifice has been made. That is a hard thing for them to get past. Just like if we said to you, no longer are we going to do Sunday morning. By the way, we do Sunday morning because we believe that's biblical. But uh, first day of the week, we, we, anyway, New Testament example, you know the story. Uh, if we change that, if there wasn't a biblical mandate, you know, you'd be like, well, I don't know. I don't think we should do that. I know churches that have struggled because they've decided, you know what, uh, we have more people in Sunday school. We're going to do the worship service first and we'll have more time for Sunday school. And churches split. Why? Because that's not the way we've always done it. Right? The order, haven't you ever noticed that you've ever been in a church where they change the order of service and that caused problems? Well, that's not the way our pastor did it. You know, get a new pastor and he changes. It does, stop. That's not the issue. And that's all, that's all we're trying to get across to you in the whole book of Hebrews is it's been fulfilled. Let that go. Move on. Amen? And I think that's a wonderful one. Uh, when I first came, uh, when I was young, I went to church occasionally with my grandmother. And in my grandmother's church in Sunday school, you got a book. Somebody remember the Sunday school books? And, and at least when I was a kid, in the Sunday school, you get a little book, right? It didn't written your book. They just gave you one as you came in. And you would have a lesson. You'd read along with the lesson. And then everybody in the room, at least in the Sunday school that I went to for a short time, didn't go very long, but this guy would read a, pa a paragraph and that guy, and you go around the room doing that. I thought that was the way Sunday school worked. And when I went to, the first time I went to a Baptist church and I was a teenager and the youth pastor got up and preached in Sunday school and I was like, well, that's rude. We don't get to say anything. We don't do anything. I kind of liked it, to be honest with you, but I, I didn't, I thought that was so different. Just that little bit of difference. That's where we're talking about. The whole livelihood of, the, of Judaism has changed. And they're struggling with it. I, and I understand that struggle. So, so go back to the top of the next page, okay? Uh, the writer of Hebrews has just been thinking about Jesus as the one who leads us into reality, right? He's been using the idea in, that in this world we have only pale copies of what is truly real. You can underline that. Even though I think we're for, I thank, I thank God we are more fortunate. We have a, I, can I say it this way? I think we have a better copy of the reality of heaven than the Hebrews did in the Old Testament. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we understand it. We, we, we don't see as much through a, to, through a glass darkly, if you want to say the biblical. We don't see it as bad as, they really were struggling to understand it. We are on another level. But even on our level, and even as we understand the scripture, there is so much that we don't understand and can't really understand. I, I used to say it this way, and I, and I think I'm correct. I, uh, you can argue with me on this point. I, I believe this. I believe because we're so finite, limited, if the finite understood the infinite, it wouldn't no longer be finite. It would also be infinite. Did that make sense? That's how my crazy brain thinks. But if I could understand everything there is to understand about God, if I completely understand the infinites of his grace and mercy, I, I get pictures and pieces of it. And sometimes my heart is really thrilled. You ever do that? All of a sudden the Holy Spirit reveals some truth to you and you're like, wow, it should, right? I, I hope this morning just talking about this, you know, you're like, wow, it's amazing, right? But I still don't have the glory. I don't think I'm going to ever understand that 
until I'm in heaven. Until I shed this skin of flesh. And then, you ever think what that's going to be like? That, that moment you close your eyes here and open your eyes there? <laughs> I have no idea. Like I said, every funeral I think about that. You know, I'm usually up here on the platform and there's a casket down here with a body in it. And I realize really quickly, uh, for those I know who are Christians, they're not here. They're actually in glory. Everything they believe by faith is now sight and more than they believe by faith because there was so much they didn't know. That truth is going to be revealed someday. By the way, just so you know, I don't understand heaven at all either. Somebody asked me one time, why don't you ever do a study on heaven? Well, I only know a, lot, a few things about it. I don't, there's a lot I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I don't know what daily life in heaven's like. Do you? I have no clue. I can't tell So what do we do in heaven every day? I don't know. Well, when we sit down at the marriage supper of the lamb, uh, we'll be able to taste it. I don't know. There's so much I don't know. We think we're, we're Bible scholars. Yeah, you're not as smart as you think you are either. So don't look. Some of you look at me like, what a dummy. Okay, next paragraph. All right, no, no, I'm first paragraph. Still in the top paragraph of that page. The worship that men offer can only be, is only a ghost-like shadow of the real worship which Jesus, the real high priest, alone can offer. But even then he thinks that, they, that even then, talking about the author of the book, he thinks of that mind that goes back to the tabernacle, uh, not the temple, and he thinks about what happened there. Okay, so... Remember, you're, a Jew is writing to the Jews, right? And so he understands, the, he may not understand the tabernacle, he knows that in history, but the temple, he understands the glory of that worship. Can you imagine going into uh, that worship center? I've seen some Roman Catholic churches, especially in other countries, that are just, I, I don't agree with the, 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 uh, uh, the worship, but the, the sanctuary? Oh my, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You ever, you ever seen those where you're just like blown away? It's like, oh my goodness. And that is, okay, now in your brain, think about this. So that is a pale representation of what's real. Even that doesn't reach what we're talking about. And that's what he's trying to, he's like, you thought, you're so proud of your temple, and they should have been, and you're so proud of the Old Testament ta uh, tabernacle history, and you think that's the most glorious worship of all, and that's as high a form as it could be. When the high priest once a year goes into the Holy of Holies, nothing is higher than that, right? That pales in comparison to that. Your brain, you're a little blown away with your brain now? If you're thinking like I am, my brain just goes, okay, whatever. I can't, go, I can't go there in my brain because I, I don't understand it. And that's what he's trying to get them to understand. Uh, so go back to the second paragraph. Lovingly, he remembers its beauty. Lovingly, he lingers in his priceless possessions. Can you imagine, you know, the altar? I mean, to see the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, Raiders of the Ark, Ark, no, forget it. Okay. And the thought in his mind is this. If earthly worship was as beautiful as this, what must the true worship be like? If all the loveliness of the tabernacle was only a shadow of reality... How, surpa how surpassing and lovely uh, the reality must be. He does not tell the tabernacle in detail. He only alludes to certain of its treasures. And that's where you get to verse 5. That's where he gets to the bottom. And he just says, of which we cannot now speak particularly uh, well, uh, speak particularly, or we can't tell you in detail. Two reasons. Number one, that wasn't why he was writing the book. Number two, it can't be written in that kind of detail. If it took 12 chapters just to write how to do it, 
Can you imagine how long it would take then for you to describe it and to illustrate every, it would be books upon volumes. And he's saying, I can't do that. We don't have time to do that. Understand. So now let me give you the three divisions and we'll end here. Okay, you're in, you're in, you see letter B there in your notes, so second page, it says 81 on your notes. Okay, it was a figure for times then, uh, then present and a greater and more perfect tabernacle. So you, you're going to divide it into, next week we'll talk about the first five verses because there's some controversy there and I want to see if I can explain it to you. So in verses two through five, I'd say one through five, the apostle gives a quick description of the furnishings in the tabernacle. We just read that. We'll talk about those, what those mean in a general sense because I'm not going to go into detail either or we would be in that forever. So then you get to the next section which is verses 6 through 10. That gives an overview of the worship and the services and what the priest did in the tabernacle. Not only the tabernacle itself but the services in the tabernacle pointed to Jesus Christ. Okay, So he's going he's to break this into pieces for you. So you got the tabernacle, physical tabernacle, the services in the tabernacle, the last part of the chapter, then he gives you the spiritual reality behind that. Okay, so what does that mean today? How does that apply to you today? So in the next three weeks or next 27 weeks, however long it takes me, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll break into those sections, okay? It'll be an interesting study. I hope you'll be back next week for it. Lord, we just pray and thank you for the opportunity to study these passages of Scripture. We're thankful for the reality that we have. Uh, Lord, even though we can see a little more clearly than they can, we can't even imagine, we can't even imagine your glory. We can't even imagine your majesty. We can't even imagine the simplest things, how, a babe, how a, the Son of God could come and be a baby in a manger. I know it's true, Lord, and yet I'm still blown away by the, by the grace and mercy it showed to us who are undeserving. And I pray, Lord, you'll continue to help us during this Christmas season to talk about those truths in a way and in a reality uh, that maybe uh, others have no clue of. We may have some understanding, and our understanding should, be, should lead us to want more, but it should also lead us to tell more about what God has done for us. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.